Uh, what I want to do today, uh, and this, I mean this with all my heart, is that we could go uh, into the Christmas story and not just learn about the Christmas story. I think your life is in the story. And I think you and I can say, you know what, this is more than just history that's being told that's accurate and awesome and amazing, but that you and I can say, and that really means a lot to me because it applies to my life. So I'm going to do that. So if you'd like to look ahead or get to where I'm going to read, I'm going to be in Luke chapter 2, the, the classic version of the Christmas story that we often you know, force our, or let our kids learn at, at, right before they open up presents, right? That kind of stuff. So I hope, I hope if you want to, you go there. Yes, I will show it later. But to get there, I need to set the stage, and this might seem weird because you and I think Christmas story, your mind might go to nativity scene, your mind might go Christmas story, Christmas shopping, oh no, I'm not done, wherever. I, I want to set the stage because the Christmas story, for you to understand how big of a deal what happened is, like, you got to know what was going on. So I need to talk to you about fear, classic fear. So begin to do a bit of a self-assessment on whether or not how afraid you are right now. Martin Niemöller. Let me tell you a little bit about Martin. Uh, if you don't know your history, th this is a, a pastor who, like, he, he got in trouble for majorly opposing Hitler. If you want to think of time frame, when was this guy? Uh, but what's interesting is the detail about as Hitler was going, and Martin found himself in the same room with Hitler, which would not knowing how everything's going to play out, not knowing. All. So he listens to Hitler basically do a, a bit of a speech, and he's, he's in the back of the room, Martin is. He's, he's just observing, he's watching, and this is kind of first kind of experience with Hitler. I know you and I know all the details, but he doesn't know all the details yet about Hitler. So he's just learning about this guy who's gotten quite a bit of a following and doing a whole lot of stuff. And he's learning and learning and listening and learning. And, and so he gets done. He goes home and has the classic conversation with his spouse. She says, so what did you learn? And I'll quote just so you, I discovered that Hitler is a terribly frightened man. That was his observation. His first go, he going, so who is this guy? And, and you and I might have said maybe the opposite. I was terribly frightened to be in the room with him. No, he notices that Hitler, who's leading this, seems to be afraid. It's interesting as we learn about fear. Let me, let me let's talk more. Let's, let's peel back fear. Max Licato, uh, well-known author, uh, pastor. Fear turns us into control freaks. Some of us just think that's a personality trait. It is not. It is not a quality to own. Uh, fear at its center is a perceived loss of control. The more insecure we feel, the meaner we become. We growl and bear our fangs. Mostly when you drive, okay? <laughs> just giving you some context. Uh, why? Because we're bad, in part, but also because we, we feel cornered. I want you thinking about fear, and I want you thinking about it in, in real terms, like the terms you feel, and the terms you feel are not necessarily the word fear, but you understand. When I say you feel cornered, most of us are like, mm, oh yeah. When, when all of a sudden you don't have an answer for a question you're asking, and fear comes in, it's, it's usually because you feel absolutely uh, lacking control, cornered, opposition is in your face, uncertainty is in your face. And fear well, I, can be a monster, can it not be? And do you know that fear is used against you and I? I know you know that. Uh, if you were to study how the news works, sorry for those of you 
Uh, the tagline here, if it bleeds, it leads. That is actually uh, terminology as, it's, as we've studied the, the news spectrum there. Like going, okay, what are you doing? Why are you reporting on this? Why did you choose this story over this story? Why didn't you say this good thing? Why did you leverage the bad thing? What we know is uh, they will use your fears and my fears to keep you connected. In fact, there's a strategy. If you're involved in the news, you're going to hate me. I'm sorry. But anyways, uh, usually there's a teaser of sorts, going, like showing you something or telling you something. But then, but then it's followed up with, and, and if you watch the story, you will learn basically how to deal with your fear that we just got you afraid of. Classic line. Let me give you an example of um, the, I, if I was a news person, I might say, uh, do you know what's in your tap water? And I would just leave you there. And some of you would be like, I thought I did, but now I don't. And so what are you going to do? Even if you don't want to, you're going to like, well, nowadays, well, I'll go back to that story and find out. But you see, and it gets you hooked in, and it's, it's a hook of fear. So you need to know whether you like it or not, and most of us don't, is that when I bring up fear, it's not just that you don't like what it's doing, it's actually leading you and manipulating you, and you and I should talk about fear. One last one, and, and this, is a, this is really close. There's a true story of a family who went and adopted a young girl from an orphanage. I'm not going to tell you all the details of the orphanage. What I can tell you from what I read uh, it was not just an orphanage. Um, <clears throat> it was a destructive orphanage. Uh, it wasn't just, it was not a safe place for kids, even though we would think orphanage, good, safe, not, not a safe place. Uh, this family adopted this young girl from the orphanage, and they went home. And if you know anything about adoption, there's a bit of a process that you need to go through when you begin to like remake your family and reform your family and talk about, okay, here's we're all going to be the same family. That's not just words. It's actions, right? So a part of it was is the family gathered around and said, hey, we need to reorganize our, our chores at the house, right? We got to like, who's going to do what and how are we going to do this? And so they gathered the family up and, and, and they said, all right, <clears throat> everyone is responsible for cleaning their own room. No amens with that one? Okay, that's fine. <laughs> so, okay, so the kids all listen, but you need to know if, you're, if you've come from an environment full of fear where if you didn't do the right thing, do you know what that would say to you? That if you don't clean your room right, and that's exactly how she heard it. She, she interpreted it as, this is a way that I can actually get my new family, my family, to love me. And so every morning she would wake up before anyone else would wake up, and she would make that room pristine. And I'll give you the quote because the parents uh, wrote down what she would say. My room is clean. Can I stay? Do you still love me? I mean, but do you know where that comes from? Fear. Fear for, for multiple reasons. And uh, so I'm going to ask you a question, and then we're going we're to pull from this. What is fear doing to you? Now, don't answer it out loud because it's doing a mixture of different things. You need to know this because different fears do different things. But right now, you should be processing. As we go into Christmas, perhaps, perhaps, fear is affecting your job, your family, your spouse, your kids. It might be affecting how you see the future. It definitely could be affecting how you sleep or don't sleep. 
It could be affecting not just like, hey, are you smiling? But a little bit even deeper than that, that fear might now, right, right now, be making choices for you on your behalf and you don't like the choices being made. Fear. I think, I think fear has been a battle for a long, long, long time. And that's why I told you to go to Luke 2, because I think in Luke 2 it gets brought up and it's not just situational or circumstantial. Let me, let me take you Luke 2. I'm going to read you something that you're like, I've heard that before. They're in my nativity scene. Okay, here we go. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Okay, it's their job. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. Now, logic says of of course they were. If, if you're in the middle of the night and you're outside and all of a sudden pfft, angels and they're talking to you, you're not going to be like, I'm so glad you guys showed up. I was waiting. for No, you're, you're going to be terrified in the moment. It's, it's logical. But, but if you understand all the words and what gets said by them, they're not just speaking to the circumstances of that very moment. They're not just giving words of going, settle down, guys. We got information. It's actually what most theologians believe. They're using language that applied to that moment, but also that applies to you and I right now. And here, they were, they were revealing and saying the primary enemy of joy is fear, and they knew it. They were about to deliver news that they, people should be joyful. This would be a good thing. But notice they deal with the terrified guys at first. Think about why. Why say, don't be scared? Why not just say, I got good news? Like, why not, why not start with just, here's the good stuff. Notice that angels immediately begin to link the, the fear and, and the joy. You and I don't do this. We have a tendency to say, I don't feel joy, so I must be unhappy. That's how we think. Of, we think that's the opposite. I don't have joy so I should fake it more and smile more and think more positive things, right? And I, I don't think that's a good opposite of joy. I think a good example of the opposite of joy is fear. If you don't have joy right now, if you're like, I want it, and I'm not talking about if you want it, I should have it. I'm not saying if you should have it. I'm saying if you don't have it, if you don't live life with it, potentially, your problem isn't exclusively with joy your problem might be bigger with fear. To where if you want to have joy, you should say, what am I afraid of? What has me that I'm afraid of? Fear is rampant in the Christmas story. Let's walk through it. I made a short list. There's a longer list, but I made a short list. Uh, the Roman oppression that was going on. If you don't know the details, the Romans were in charge, not because everyone wanted them to be. They just took charge. You could study it. You did in school. You may have forgotten about it. But they, had, they were brilliant at oppressing people, squashing people out, taxing people, scaring people. And if you lived under their control, you have to admit that there was a sense of fear that what if they were to exert more control? During the Christmas story, you've got major oppression going on. Mary's in her final trimester. <clears throat> okay. I am a man. I'm aware of this. I am not a woman. I don't know what it's like to be pregnant at all. 
I just feel like I should say this because some of you are like, you don't even know what you're talking about. I agree. I agree, and to give you a little bit more detail, I don't want to ever know. We've got four kids. I, I, I heard about it. None of it was like, I wish I got my turn. No, there's none of that. So all I can do is tell you what I've learned, okay? Never during Katie's pregnancies did she say, can we go rent a donkey and go on a trip? Never. She never brought it up. In fact, there were times that she didn't want to go in, in a fuel-injected vehicle with shocks and stuff and just go to the grocery store, right? Like that, even that smooth, right? Like now, what you and I often skirt over is we have a pregnant woman at some stage in her pregnancy, taking a trip that's been forced upon her, you can blame the government, or maybe she said, why am I marrying this guy? We wouldn't have had to move so far. But I'm just saying, we have to be willing to admit that that's not something that's so beautiful. I know in our nativity scenes, there's the stories that we tell the kids. You have to believe, because I know enough about this, I think she had some fears about the trip. I think there were some like, how's this go? What if, what if things happen early on the trip? See, we don't think about that. You're like, well, go to urgent care. They didn't have that. Like, it was just like, yeah. Uh, well, with that in mind, we've, we've got a barnyard birth. I don't hear about that either going, what, what, you guys excited about your kid? Yeah, we're looking for a barn. We're looking for a barn to really just... Now, I know people like to get married in, in barns now, but we, we, don't, we don't do the actual birth stuff there. Typically, we want it clean and, and sanitary. You have to admit that if, that if you're giving birth around animals and stuff, that everyone there has a bit of an uncertainty about going on in their minds going, I hope this is safe and I hope this is okay and, and I, I hope the goat stays away. And you know, but, but Think about, it's not so beautiful and picturesque like you and I have a tendency to think about it. It's, it's gross, it's, it's dirty and, and there's a, with that comes, is this going to work right? Is this going to be okay? You got to admit that it's there. Uh, the main visitors, complete strangers. Now, maybe you're not bothered. Some of you, I mean, Katie loves to meet strangers. Uh, I'm the one in the relationship where I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Who's at our house right now? Who are they? And right, Think about strangers coming up to your kid. This is even in the Bible, like, give me your kid. And that would, that would be awkward. Some of you, some, some of you are like, hmm, why wouldn't have happened, right? Think about the people arriving to see Jesus. Think about the shepherds arriving. They were considered the bad people of society, and they showed up. That might get the family talking a little bit. I think some fear was there. And then some of the most obvious stuff about the fear, uh, the, the Magi were afraid of Herod, right? They go, they go to the king, and they tell the crazy king, asking questions to the crazy king, hey, where's the new king? Things I would not have brought to his attention, but... They have to escape town. Fear. Uh, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus fleeing. 
Sometimes we don't read that part when we're opening up our presents, but it's there just so you know where it talks about they have to flee the country. Create a new family and run. Can you imagine? Massacre, a massacre ordered. You heard about that in the first message of this series where a massacre, a horrible massacre ordered. Like, think about the fear. If you had a two-year-old or younger boy in your house, what would you be thinking? Now, right now, I've given you enough time to think about potential fears that are in your life. Perhaps it's the uncertainty in your life or some, maybe it's got very specific things. You're like, I know exactly what it is that I'm afraid of. Now, as you think about that, think about what you're hoping will happen. And I think I know. When you're afraid, you're desperate for good news. I know it seems simple, but listen to me. When you are afraid, when all of a sudden you're like, you have these unanswered questions or this unresolved situation, or you don't know how other people are going to handle, or your kids have now moved out, or whatever, all that kind of stuff, you're like, what do I do? What do I do? You're hoping for, you're desperate for some bit of good news to be a bit of an ointment for your fear so it will subside a bit. You want more details. Let me tell you a research project. That is the potential to ruin a friendship. You want to hear what this is? I mean, this could ruin potentially even a marriage. I don't know. But, but listen, there's a research project done by the University of California. They gathered 800 people, and they gave each of the 800 people three short stories to read. So far, you're like, what's so problematic about that? Oh, listen. In the three stories, some of the stories had spoilers as you would read through the story. So it was like watching a movie that you have to watch the whole way through to figure it out or watching a Hallmark movie. <laughs> They're going to get together. You know that, right? Right? So you, you know the difference. That's it. So they put spoilers in some of the stories and, and the other ones, they just let it play out to where your emotions were up and down, up and down. And you didn't know until the very end. And what they did, the, the point of the project was at the end, they asked the people, the 800 people, which stories did you prefer and why? And this is where we lose friendships. Because here's the assessment. Subjects significantly preferred spoiled over unspoiled stories. If you've ever had someone ruin a movie for you, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> when you're watching a movie and they're whispering about what's going to happen and you consider punching them in the face... Or when someone tells you about a show and before you were able to watch all the episodes and now you know the detail, you're like, uh, Katie is this way. If, if we ever watch a movie, one, it's weird that we're watching a movie together. It's just, it's never made its way into our marriage because she doesn't like the anxiety of any kind of movie. So if she's watching it with me, I already know what's happened. She Googled everything about the movie. So she's not enjoying it. She just knows that nothing bad gets left unresolved. Now, like I told you, this can split a friendship because some of you are like, no, I don't want anyone to ruin it. Listen, listen, you actually do. Because if you make it personal, if the movie's no longer a movie, but it's a story about you, knowing what happens later affects how we see now. In the midst of your fear, if it's personal, if it's your storyline, if it's what you're craving and what you're desperate, if someone would give you 10 to 20 years from now, you'd be like, I will take that right now before I ever live it. 
With that in context, I believe, I believe that's what the angels did. They spoiled the story, but they didn't spoil it. They made it good. Here, Luke chapter 2. In the midst of dealing with some freaked out shepherds. Don't be terrified. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Do you know what they just did? Don't be terrified. You're afraid. All these people are afraid. What you guys are going through is it's terrible. It's tragic. Don't be afraid. There is a Messiah, a Savior. That's the end of the story. I don't mean to ruin Christmas for you, but when Jesus is born as a baby, put into a feeding trough, he's not done anything yet. That's what some of us have wrestled with Christmas. You're like, what's the big deal about Christmas? You gotta wait to do your thing. Well, the beauty of the angels know this and they're saying, we know there's fear, we know there's oppression, we know that there's horrible things going on now and in the future. Here's the end of the story. The Savior's here. The end of the story has arrived. He's dealing with, think about when, when you're thinking about your fears and what you're going through, you're thinking about not the end of the story, you're thinking about now you get consumed by it. Look what the angels did. But then they add to it. Not just Savior, Messiah. Lord. The word Lord, is, it's interesting because the way Luke writes, if you, if you were to study the book of Luke, you're going to learn that in the book of Luke, he likes to use the word Lord more than, more than others. He, that seems to be what, like when he thinks about him, I want to call him Lord. And you're like, yeah, there's been history where Lord meant you were, uh, you're in charge of an area of land. If you get into the weeds here, Lord, the holy, unspeakable, unspeakable name of God himself. So when, when Luke brings up Lord, when the angels bring up Lord, they're not just saying, Savior, Messiah, good guy, going to be a rabbi. This is awesome. Speaking about God. Now, who's this for? Luke 2.10. That's important. You see, uh, all the peoples, all of them. Who's he coming for? God is showing up for everybody. So let me use my personal commentary, the David Canaan commentary. Here's what they're saying. Hey, shepherds, God just showed up. It's the spoiler that they needed for their fears. Whatever you're afraid of right now, whether you think you can fix it or not or someone else can, my guess is it's difficult for you to remember the end of the story, that there will be a day if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, no matter if your sickness takes you or the relationship dissolves or you lose all your money, your job, your security, your house, if you lose it all, no matter what happens, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the end of the story is the Messiah came for you and resolved your sin problem. And I know I'm not trying to uh, pacify or, or, or disregard your current pain. But in the midst of our pains and our fears, we have a tendency to get caught up in them and forget the end of the story is stinking awesome. And there will be a day that you do not experience pain or uncertainty. There will be a day that you are thriving no matter what's going on. You need to remember that. So what do we do with this? Well, pretend and smile and leave church and be like, it was about joy. 
Try not to be afraid. No, that's not, no, no, no. How do I fight fear? How do I fight fear and keep joy? How do I do both? I'm not good at multitasking at all, at not one bit. But I think that you and I at the same time can, can hold on to our joy and fight fear. I think we can do it at the same time. The evidence I have is in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. I think this is a, a script. I think this is help for you and I, that if you've ever wanted to be like me, I'm a, I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up in the church, fourth generation pastor in a row. And what has always been distasteful in my heart is faking being a Christian. Like faking this stuff going, I'm supposed to have joy, peace, patience, all that. Oh, I'm just going to fake it until I get it. If you don't want to fake it, then listen to what this is saying. I'm going to pick it apart and plug it into your life. And from that, you'll be able to fight fear and hold on to joy at the same time. Let's pick this apart. Such a great cloud of witnesses. This is note-taking time, by the way. If you want to have joy, pay attention to what you're doing around you and who's been doing it. Here, others have faced obstacles and they've triumphed. What you're going through, what you're afraid of right now, there is history that tells us people have been through what you are going through. I know that's not politically correct. You're like, no, I know I'm supposed to tell you what you're going through is so unique. Just to you. No other generation has ever faced what you're facing. That's a junk. What you're going through matters. It's a big deal. But others have gone through difficult as well, and they have triumphed. And our society wants you to forget that. You need to remember that what you're going through is bad, but it's beatable. You got a reminder. You know where there's a bunch of triumph stories? The B I B L E. The Bible. It's full of them. It's full of people on display doing their, their worst moments, written in paper, put into the best-selling book ever that you and I get to enjoy. The, their triumphs, they're, they're overcoming amazingly difficult things. That's why the Christmas story is full of people worshiping, celebrating God, being about God. It's why you and I love the nativity scene, because of what it represents. But don't forget, it's full of triumph. Joseph. Mary, the Magi, the shepherds, Jesus himself, it's full of triumph. So I, the question is, like, what's getting more playtime in your mind? Uh, the bad stories or the triumph stories? If you want joy, remember there's a cloud of witnesses. There's a cloud of people. There's a group of people that have triumphed, and you need to work hard on remembering those. Let's pick it apart more. Uh, throw off everything that hinders it's likely that you've got things hindering you right now that aren't like purposeful or fully intentional. They're just around you. Our affections are often where we're tempted to get this most. A control. Your craving for control right now could be hindering you. And your boss wishes they knew you were having this conversation right now. Perhaps your spouse hopes you're listening right now. Maybe your kids wish you were listening right now. Do you see what control does to you and I? It fills us with fear. Do we tell our kids, hey, why don't you stay home for the rest of your lives? Because it's safer. 
You'll change that opinion. <laughs> value. Value. If you don't know your sense of value, that will hinder you. That will get you all caught up to where you will try to find value in your job and money and people liking you. And you'll be so fearful that you won't have joy. Security. Oh, I love to preach about security. I don't think safety is first. I don't think it should be our first priority. But in our society, it tends to be, which makes us fear-driven, uh, pleasure. You, you don't need me to preach about that. You already know about that. How we get so caught up in seeking pleasure that we find out we're fearful for some reason and we've lost our joy. Is your version of life on earth robbing you of joy on earth? Is your version of what you think life should be like right now and what it should feel like, be like, who should be around you? Are you being consumed by that, has that taken your joy away because it's not that? You should evaluate that. Let's pick this apart. Uh, one last part. The easy one, though, the obvious one. Sin that so easily entangles. We talk about this a lot. Entangles, the word meaning actually surrounds. This is purposeful disregarding of God. If you've ever found yourself living a lifestyle where like, you know about God and you know what he might say about it, but you disregard, you don't go to God for any solutions, wisdom, any kind of guidance, you just disregard him, you do your own thing. It's, uh, it's a hard, hard place to find joy. Uh, what and who are you surrounding yourself with will give you answers to your amount of fear, your amount of joy. Let me go back and finish the Hebrews. Uh, Therefore, oh yeah, and let us run with perseverance to the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Now watch what it gets described. For the joy set before him. Sounds like he's going to have a great day. He endured the cross. In the context we've talked about, with fear and joy on the table, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scoring, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Apparently, the example of Jesus tells us you can have joy at the same time while you fight things that you're afraid of. The short of it, your best source for joy is Jesus. That's why I love the Christmas story, because it reminds us of things that I think are so powerfully significant. What are you afraid of? This Christmas, as you stare at a nativity scene, I hope one of the annoying things that will happen to you now is, is that you look at the nativity scene, you'll be reminded of the things that they were afraid of. And you'll ask yourself, what are my fears doing to me? Now, perhaps... Uh, you're not exactly just there. You're like, you know what, David? I've gotten the fear. I'm pretty good with fear and, and joy. Well, if you still have this deficiency of joy and it's not about fear, let's keep walking. John 15 gives us more joy and fear talk. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Now, you may not remember that part, but you probably do this. Yes, your joys will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other the same way I've loved you. You're like, oh, I remember that part. Love, love, love others the way that I have loved you. I think I, I want to really dial the sermon in right now and give you something so practical. If you don't want to fake joy, I think you'd be less consumed with your own circumstances. Listen, and pay attention to the circumstances of other people. And I think that is the momentum 
that your joy needs. I'm not saying ignore what's going on in your life. Please don't do that. But don't be so consumed by what's going on in your life that you forget what else is going on in other people's lives where perhaps you are the answer to prayer that they are praying. So we do this every year as a church. We get involved in other people's problems. Doesn't that sound like family? Uh, (laughs) We get involved in other people's problems. If you want to know why, why, why do we as a church get involved in other people's problems? Well, the short of it is, is we know by helping other people, we actually help their joy and our joy actually grow. It's the power of generosity and love and mission all at one moment. So rather than retell something, uh, I summed it up in front of a fireplace with a crackling of wood so we all would listen. Take a look. Hey, it's about Christmas time. And so I wanna invite you into a family tradition. Our church calls it a family tradition. Every year, we take something from the Christmas story, specifically when the Magi get the gifts, and they bring the gifts to Jesus. And that moment of giving Jesus gifts above and beyond, we as a church have said, what if, what if we copied that? What if we as a church, gathered resources from all of us, money, and actually gave it to God. So every year as a church, what we do is we identify uh, issues around us, problems around us, people's lives that, that if we were to invest in their lives, that we could show them who Jesus is. And I think you know something, but I'm just gonna say it. We live in a pretty broken world right now. And one of the dangers about a broken world is that things begin to break that shouldn't break. Meaning, in this broken world, we believe families need supported right now. Otherwise, families are gonna start to break apart. If you're a grandparent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You may have witnessed your grandkids living in a world right now vastly different than what you grew up in. If you're a parent right now, you definitely know the trenches of what's going on. When you hear about what your kids are experiencing in school or just in their thoughts, if you're married right now, you know the pressures even on your marriage and how all the information just isn't right now in your head and you need help and support. If you're a parent right now, you're like, how in the world do I do this? And so I think the church should get involved in this. I believe with my whole heart that you and I can help fix the problem of families needing what they need. So I'm gonna give you a few things. Here's what we're gonna do with this year's Christmas offering. One, we're gonna support families and marriages in this way. We provide parent workshops and marriage workshops. Some of you may have already been to these things that we've done and they've been like hugely popular. Well, we wanna dump resources into that. Even bring experts in to help invest in parents. If you're like, how do I parent? Or or how do I do marriage right? We wanna pour into that. Also, a second point, transportation. If you don't know this about our area, COVID caused several businesses to close down. One of them was the bus transportation system. If Last year at camp, we almost weren't able to send all the kids to camp because there weren't enough buses. Come on! Like that was the issue, transportation. So it's time that we as a church invest in transportation where we as a church own vans. Options for kids to go to camp and retreats, but also as basic as students who can come to youth group who just need a ride to youth group. We need to get involved in that. Also, one last thing, that third one, spaces. It's important that we as a church create spaces where kids can learn who Jesus is, and our kids' spaces need some attention. 
We need to do some things with soundproofing and stuff like that, and we need to get involved in that. That's a few. But what I know is something you already know. It is, it is the church's role. It is the church's role to get involved in the family, to be a place where a family can grow, heal, a place where a family can say, I can bring my kids there, my teenagers there, our marriage can thrive there. And so this year for the Christmas offering, I invite you into this, is to go find what you can find and invest in this. My family's gonna do this, my kids do this. Uh, $5, $5,000, $500,000, I don't what, whatever you've got, I'm, I'm, I'm challenging you to be a part of us being a part of fighting for families this Christmas.